All right. We are back for the week 15 preview with the Sporting Intelligence crew. I'm Ethan Weiss. We are back with Pat Higgins. And Pat, we're back. It's been a tough couple weeks for the Eagles. So naturally, the opening question here on a scale from 1 to 10, panic meter, where are we at? Is is 10 total panic or is, is 10 no panic? Oh, 10, you are freaking out, panicking. This team has absolutely no chance to win. And a one is like, I am not worried at all. Cool as a cucumber. Give me the Niners right now. I'm going, I'm going five. Look, they they've had a really, yeah. really tough uh, you know, six week stretch. And, you know, I I've said it all week. If you look at the Eagles schedule when it came out and you find out after or you find out when the schedule comes out that in a six game stretch where you're playing the Cowboys, Dolphins, Bills, Chiefs, 49ers, and Cowboys, you finish four and two, you gotta feel pretty good about it. The sequence of how it happened, don't feel very good about it. The way the secondary's been exposed over that whole stretch, don't feel very good about it. I think there's things that you know they can clean up in terms of uh they turn the ball over three times in Dallas territory every time on Sunday night can't be doing that if you want to beat the Cowboys the Cowboys as it turns out are pretty good this year the 49ers sort of a you know sort of a wagon you kind of want to win out to you know have home field advantage but you know you we're, we're 10 and 3 the sky's not falling here in Philadelphia everything is going to be okay the Eagles control their destiny the Eagles have the Giants twice the Seahawks and the Cardinals left on their schedule the Cowboys have the Bills on the road the Dolphins on the road, the Lions at home, and the Commanders on the road the rest of the way. So Dallas jumps into the driver's seat in the NFC East with a pretty um, you know, resounding win at home on Sunday night in primetime. But the the season's not over. You know, both teams are both teams are ten and three, and there's still four weeks left in the season. So guys not falling, gotta keep it moving. There's highs and lows, gotta keep it steady, gotta keep your feet moving. Yeah. I'll be quick. Uh, my panic meter is a little bit higher than yours from you know an outsider's perspective. Uh, I'm going with a seven, and the reason being, this defense is bad. The like, defense I'm, is I'm gonna really bad. Kind of whisper that a little bit because you know it can really only get better. But this defense has been really bad, and the path to the NFC, you know, the it's not called the pennant in football. But the path to the Super Bowl through the NFC is through San Fran and or Dallas, and both of those teams have amazing offenses. And you saw it in their two matchups now. They just couldn't get a stop. And as good as this offense for the Eagles is, those two defenses are better. And so if they're just getting more stops and you cannot stop those offenses, you're in trouble. Um, that's why my panic meter is a little bit higher. Spin zone. You're here we go. Here one. we go. Here's your spin zone, Pat. In the five seed, which is where either the Eagles or the Cowboys are most likely going to fall, whichever one doesn't win the division, the five seed is going to most likely play the winner of the NFC South, which is going to be one of Tampa Bay, Atlanta, or New Orleans. I am less scared of any one of those three teams than the potential for the seven seed, which includes Green Bay, the Rams, Seattle, or one of those other NFC South teams, which I kind of see them all the same. The Bucks, the Falcons, the Saints, they're all literally the same. Um, so, you know, facing one of them might not 
necessarily be the worst thing if the two seed in the NFC is going to go have to face Green Bay or LA or Seattle. Just throwing that out there. That's a great spin zone. I like it. You would prefer to move back over the next four weeks from the five seed back into the one seed or the two seed and be hosting, uh, you know, home oh, playoff games. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, honestly, that that made me feel pretty good. So I, I appreciate that. Look, the, the Cowboys and the 49ers have so much speed at skill positions, you know, whether it's Debo Samuel or any of the guys that the the Cowboys have at, you know, the wide receiver position. They're, they're running the end around. They're taking, you know, the pages out of the Chiefs playbook from the Super Bowl. They're sending guys in motion. And the Eagles don't have speed at linebacker. They don't have speed at cornerback. And they're having issues getting pressure on the quarterback, and that's exposing their secondary. And so yep. there, there are major structural issues within this defense that you would prefer not to have. But you gotta, at this point in the season, you gotta, you gotta keep sailing with the ship that you got. And and I have no Look, choice but to be optimistic it's, here. It's coming, it's coming down to the wire now. We start to get a lot of these matchups with you know, big playoff implications on the line. It's crazy that we're already talking about the week 15 preview here. Um, but, you know, it's exciting times in the NFL. The San Francisco 49ers officially became the first team to clinch a playoff spot this last week. Um, so that is exciting stuff. We're already to the point of clinching playoff spots. So that's good fun. Um, and yeah, um, let's dive in here. Uh, to our week 14 recap a little bit. Um, flowers or thorns and uh, kick it to you first, Pat. Yeah, I, w- I just want to say it's good to be back. I know that there was some speculation that I skipped the show last week because of how poorly the Eagles played on the road or excuse me, at home against the 49ers. That was not the case, but I appreciate you, Ethan, for you know not the case keep, some were saying keep, that i made sure to put that to rest yeah many people were saying so anyway it's good to be back and um you know regardless of how the last two weeks went i'm not going thorns i'm going flowers again this week we're going beautiful flowers for zach wilson quarterback of the new york jets this week zach again, wilson re, re- again, quarterbacking yep. the new york jets yeah, uh, he, he wants Boyle. um as well as Trevor Not really, Simeon. just Tim Boyle's job and spot on an NFL roster, most likely forever, but please. Yeah. So Zach Wilson, uh, rightfully so, has taken a lot of flack this season. He's played very, very poorly in relief of Aaron Rodgers. Um, but he's been playing behind a horrible offensive line that is definitely uh, responsible for, or partially responsible for the fact that Aaron Rodgers popped his ACL on the first drive as a New York Achilles. Jet earlier this season. Same thing. Achilles, what did I say? ACL? Achilles, excuse me. Wilson has not been inspiring much confidence in relief of Aaron Rodgers, and there's a reason why he got benched. But if you you know, have been following the media and the rumor mill the last couple of weeks, Zach Wilson was uh, proposed by Robert Sala to take the starting quarterback position back, and he said some, he said some naughty, naughty things, allegedly, to Robert allegedly. Sala. Allegedly. Yeah, this is all rumor mills and speculation. Uh, I guess ultimately they hashed that out and Zach Wilson stepped back into the helm. uh, And, you know, against the Texans at home in week 14, uh, led the Jets to a convincing 30-6 to win 
you know, at home. And, you know, the Jets, it looks like, are out of playoff contention. But I'm happy for Zach Wilson. They did, they scored zero points and punted five times in the first half. 86 yards of total offense and 26 snaps. But Zach Wilson, ultimately, he, he, got the, he got the boat moving in the right direction in the second half. Three touchdowns on the first four drives of the second half and ended with over 300 yards passing, two touchdowns. Uh, on 27 to 36 passing, he made a lot of really honestly impressive throws in this game. So, um, you know, flowers this week to a guy who's who's had a, a little bit of a roller coaster of a season, and uh, you know, against all odds, stepped back into the spotlight, one of the hardest positions to play in sports quarterback for the New York Jets, going out and getting a win. Yeah, look, uh, credit to the Jets, they kind of steamrolled the Texans for you know, I don't know that this is anything but a steamrolling. Um, obviously helps that Stroud went down and, you know, all of a sudden Zach Wilson's running out in the next series. Like, Oh wait, I'm the best quarterback in this game now. Um, which is kind of weird to say at this point, but, uh, I, I don't remember who said it. It was either Quinn and Williams or Garrett. Well, someone on the jets came out and said, basically like, look, Wilson kind of coming back. He had this unwillingness to play, whatever that may be. He basically said Wilson came out with nothing to lose, chip on his shoulder, said, you know, F it. I'm just going to let this thing rip because who cares? Um, and he played amazing. And he played, you know, maybe the best game of, of his season. Uh, I know people want to go back to that Chiefs game. But, uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, and I'm not ready to go there yet, but maybe Robert Sala's a genius. Maybe – this is all maybe Salah's playing chess, said Wilson stinks. I'm going to bench him and then bring him back so that he really feels like he's got nothing to lose. I'm going to take the role of bad guy upon myself to motivate my quarterback and this team to play freely and without reserve. Um, maybe, just maybe, Robert Sala is a genius. Um, only time will tell because – they face uh, the Miami Dolphins this week. So good luck to the New York Jets. There, there's a good movie about hacking people's brains and making them think other things. It's called Inception, Christopher Nolan. Maybe maybe Robert Sala is taking, a, maybe he's taking a page out of that. Who knows? But it's a good point. Second good, good point you've made after of, of the show, after uh, the spin zone about the Eagles. We're, we're yeah, look, that's, that's a good start. We're in a positive mindset today, Pat, so I'm going to keep that rolling. And I'm going to give a little shout out and I'm going to give, give some flowers to the entire Cleveland Browns team. Uh, shout out to my boy, Max. He's been clamoring for some positive Cleveland Browns talk on the show. Here it is, Max. Uh, this was a big game for the Browns coming in, entering week 14. They were sitting at seven and five. There's kind of this big clump of AFC playoff contenders for um, these playoff spots, uh, kind of all sitting right around seven and five, six and six, that, that kind of, uh, area, uh, or, or six, seven and five, six and five, whatever it is. Um, and they were kind of staring down this relatively easy schedule down the stretch, but they had to get past Jacksonville first. Um, this was a really, really impressive performance from the Browns. They came out, they scored on the opening drive and they never relinquished the lead after that. Um, they scored a touchdown in every quarter for the first time this season uh, for the Browns, not the first time across the NFL, but for the Browns uh, and just Flacco's, what is it, second start. Um, there's a non-zero chance that Flacco has changed this offense. And if this offense is just league average, I think that this team is a real chance to win any given Sunday um, because this defense is really, really elite. 
Uh, this was a great performance, critical spot for this team, building some cushion in the AFC wildcard standings. They now sit at eight and five, the only eight and five team just, you know, or, or I'm sorry, in the wildcard conversation. They're now tied with the Chiefs and the Jacksonville Jaguars at eight and five record wise. Um, they sit in the first position in the AFC wildcard race ahead of the six teams in the AFC that sit at seven and six. So that extra cushion there for the Browns with a relatively easy schedule to close the season. Um, that was a really, really critical win. So hats off and some flowers going to the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, it's a great win for the Browns. I think, you know, the, the Jags are one of those inconsistent teams. They're they're up and they're down and they're all over the place. Their season looked like it may have been over last week with Trevor Lawrence going down, but it's just a high ankle sprain. And, you know, Joe Flacco stepping up. And uh, to your point, if he if he makes this offense just perfectly average and you combine that. Yeah. Um, you know, with the Browns or with with the defense, excuse me, it's it's sort of the same conversation you're having with the Jets. Uh, you have a, a, a phenomenal defense here. And if you can just get, you know, slightly average or, or above average quarterback play, you know, I wouldn't say the sky's the limit, but uh, you could be potentially winning a wild card game in the in the playoff picture, uh, you know, come January. Absolutely. Um, you know, Cleveland. 31st in offensive efficiency on the year. Um, that's not great. You know, 31st is is not good. Um, so, you know, it's only up from here, kind of. I mean, I guess technically there's there's one team worse than them. Uh, I'm trying to figure out who that is by just clicking through. But um, look, they're sitting right around where Carolina, uh, where the New York Giants – um, it's probably the Jets who are 32nd. Yep. So, I mean, if you're in a conversation offensively with Carolina, the Jets, and the Giants, you're probably not, you know, in a great spot. And yet their defense has kind of carried them to eight and five. Um, so, man, this team is scary if if uh, they can get some offense. So we'll go to you now, Pat, for the most heralded award in football at this moment. Um. And that's the Mr. Big Chest Award for week 14. Where's it going this week, Pat? Yeah, so we're, we we just had a lot of Cleveland Browns talk, and, and let's stay on that subject. Let's let's revisit the criteria for the Mr. Big Chest Award because, Ethan, offline, you were, you were trying to, you know, lobby for, you know, maybe somebody on the Dallas Cowboys to, to win the Mr. Big Chest Award this week. But maybe. what the Mr. Big Chest Award really is all about is doing the improbable and... So for that reason, this week, the Mr. Big Chess Award for week 14 is going to 38-year-old Joe Flacco. Wow. Wow. We'll we'll clap it up for we'll clap it up for Big Joe there. Yeah, he deserves it. So Joe Flacco, not on an NFL roster for the first eleven weeks of the 2023 season. In that time span, you know, between September and November, I'm not familiar with uh, the intimacies of Joe Flacco's schedule. He was auditioning for a spot on inside the NFL, uh, you know, a, a national NFL centric TV show. Um, but at some point along the line, decided he still had some gas left in the tank, uh, you know, signed a contract with the Browns, uh, you know, given the the turbulence that the Browns have experienced at the quarterback position. And since he's returned to the NFL, has thrown for 565 yards and five touchdowns over the last two weeks as the starting quarterback for the Browns. Most recently in week 14 against the Jags defense that 
I would consider above average, maybe on the borderline conversation of a top 10 defense in the league. Flacco threw for 311 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception on 26 of 45 passing. Led the Browns to a 31-27 win over the Jags and improved the, the Browns to 8-5. and five. He was named starting quarterback of the Browns for the rest of the season. You know, as we just talked about, the Browns are squarely in the playoff you know picture if the season ended today they'd be the five seed two games behind the ravens in the afc north if we harken back again to what the mr big chest award is about we look back to who won the mr big chest award in its inaugural um you know announcement or campaign or whatever you want to call it lamar jackson won the mr big chest award in part because he self-represented himself in contract negotiations, taking one of the biggest bites at the apple that a professional athlete in American sports can take, negotiating, you know, on behalf of himself for, uh, you know, a max contract, a market-setting contract in the offseason. And if you look at the similarities between what Lamar Jackson did and what Joe Flacco has oh, done, we don't have to do this. Pat. <laughs> there's some similarities, and so. Um, you know, the, the long answer to your short to your short question is that Joe Flacco for week 14 wins the Mr. Big Chest Award. So Look, hopefully Craig. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he gets he has Twitter, but I'm hoping that word gets to Joe Flacco. And once again, it brightens his week because it's it's a high praise and it, it's a high honor. If we have a trophy, it would it would be up there with uh, uh, his Super Bowl trophy. Yeah, look, credit to, credit to Flacco. I'm not quite ready to compare him to Lamar Jackson just yet. Not just not quite. Um, but look, Flacco straight up has changed the complexion of this offense. Um, he's throwing the ball 46 times per game. Uh, that's a an extremely high number. That number would be first in the NFL. So you're talking about a team that's one of the most run heavy teams in the league now. All of a sudden, over the last two games, throwing. Uh, 46 times a game. That's an extreme change in confidence from the offensive play caller for who's under center. He's throwing for 282 and a half passing yards per game. He's throwing for two and a half touchdowns per game. Those are both top five as well. Um, over these obviously short stretch, but it, it's a flash in the pan for now, right? It's not a trend yet, but Pat, you need two data points to start a trend. And we may be starting something here with Flacco under center for the Browns, and that's got to at least scare a few people. Um, you know, if you're an AFC contender and now you're like, wait a second, the Browns can like actually kind of play offense. Um, that's got to be a little bit concerning. So uh, credit to Flacco, credit to the Browns, big win. Um and before we dive into our week 15 preview here, Pat, I will remind our loyal listeners to head on over to sporting-intelligence.com and get your hands on all of these matchup analysis tools that we use to make our analysis and picks on the show for free through the end of the 2023 season. Um, that's our matchup analysis dashboard. It shows a quick, concise view of the breakdowns for each offensive and defensive unit in every matchup across the league that week allowing you to easily see where each team will have an advantage in that game and allow you to understand uh, where those teams could get an edge uh, for you on the total or the side, as well as betting player props. We also have the player stats dashboard, uh, which goes through a bunch of different stats and talks about uh, those players' ranks in the NFL, as well as their matchup for the upcoming week. Um, check out the 
passing, receiving, rushing splits dashboards to kind of see how players perform against above or below average defenses and our player profiles dashboard, which shows a report card view of that player's performance so far this year. So make sure you head on over to sporting-intelligence.com and get your hands on these tools for free. Uh, also, while you're at it, give us a follow on Twitter at Sport, I-N-T-E-L-L-G-N-C-E. You can also find us by searching Sporting Intelligence. We release our newsletter every Friday morning. That will be through Twitter, and you can find that along with other data visualizations and matchup analysis leading up to NFL Sundays on our Twitter at Sport, I-N-T-E-L-L-G-N-C-E. But without further ado, Pat, let's dive in to the week 15 preview and we will start with one of our three matchups on saturday that's right saturday nfl football now that it is it is officially bowl season uh for college the nfl is not against their legal you know constraints to play on saturdays so we will be getting the detroit lions looking to bounce back from their loss to the bears and extend their division lead in the nfc north down to just two games now, by the way. They will welcome the 7-6 and six Denver Broncos to town who desperately need wins down the stretch as they try to break away from that 7-6 uh, and six pack in the AFC that we talked about earlier. Detroit favored by 4.5, over under 47.5 in this one. Detroit enters at 10th in offensive efficiency, 26th in defensive efficiency. On the other side, Denver 20th in offensive efficiency. All the way up to sixth in defensive efficiency now, Pat, believe it or not, after a disastrous start for the Broncos defense, they have had a huge bounce back in the last seven weeks. They now rank second in third down conversion percentage allowed. They are first in turnovers forced per game, and they are 12th in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. They have not allowed an opponent to score more than 22 points since week five, Pat. The story for Detroit's offense on the other side they will be facing off against has been balanced. They are eighth in EPA per play, third in yards per play, behind a rank of sixth in passing yards per game and fifth in rushing yards per game, a team that moves the ball extremely efficiently in both phases of the offense. Uh, they match up against a Denver offense um, that's really benefited from their defense forcing turnovers. They rank fourth in red zone trips per game, despite ranking just 23rd in series conversion rate and 18th in yards per play. Their defense has consistently set them up for success. They've been taking advantage of it a little bit over the last few weeks. They face a Detroit defense that's really struggled in every facet of the game besides stopping the run. They're 23rd in pass yards per attempt allowed. They're 25th in red zone trips per game allowed. They're 29th in red zone touchdown percentage allowed, but they are sixth in yards per carry rushing allowed, and they are sixth in rushes of 10 or more yards allowed on the season. A very good rush defense, not very good in other facets of the game for Detroit. This is a very important matchup for both of these teams. Detroit looking to get a step closer to locking up their first division title since 1993. Pat, here's your fun fact of the week. The Detroit Lions have... One, or I'm sorry, I'm going to give you another team that has won the NFC North title more recently than the Detroit Lions, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's right, Pat. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers realigned out of the NFC North to the NFC South in the year 2000, 2001, whenever that was. The Lions have not won that division since 93. The Bucs won it in 99. So, you know, big things coming for the Lions. Hopefully, Denver on the other side fighting tooth and nail 
to stay alive in a jam-packed AFC playoff race. Pat, where do you see some advantages? Where are you betting this one? That's that's a great fact. I didn't know that. I feel um, I feel enlightened that to know that the Bucks once played in the NFC North. It, I it didn't feels know that right. either until I was looking feels, up. I was like, man, it feels like a long time since the Lions have won the division, right? Oh, it, it feels right that they're playing in the NFC South now. Anyway, in this game, I'm going back to the gift that has continued to give in you know the the weekly newsletter on a weekly basis is you know we're going David Montgomery over 63 and a half rushing yards in this one. So David Montgomery heading into Week 15 as obviously a key piece of Lions rushing attack that you touched on. Ethan ranks fifth in the league in rushing yards per game, fourth in yards per carry, seventh in runs of 10 plus yards. And we're talking about the Denver defense. It certainly has surged over the last six to eight weeks, but they're still, you know, all things considered, ranked 32nd in the league in rushing yards per game allowed and yards per carry allowed, 28th in runs of 10 plus yards. Dave Montgomery's production has plateaued over the last few weeks. Over the last four weeks, he's been in, you know, the high 60s, low 70s, but his volume of carries is consistent. It's it's Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs as a, you know, a platoon in this backfield. And I think Dave Montgomery is going to have an advantage to take advantage of a Denver defense that is among the league's worst. I'm expecting the lions coming off a, you know, a week 14 loss where, you know, everyone knows about the trends of Jared Goff playing outdoors. He doesn't play well outdoors outside the dome. They're going back to Detroit. This is going to be indoors. Uh, I think they get back on track. I think, you know, if you look back at, you know, the Chicago, the matchup they had last week against Chicago, that's the second best rushing defense in the league that ranks third in yards per carry. Now we're going, we're completely flipping the script. Dave Montgomery, I think, is going to have a big role in this offense in week week 15 on Saturday. Love Montgomery over 63 and a half in this one. I think, you know, Detroit gets back to playing some physical football, uh, you know, running the ball and 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 you know, moving the ball, moving the chains. Dave Montgomery is is the guy this week in this one. That's where I'm going. Yeah, I love this play. Um, no matter if Gibbs is in, if Montgomery's in, if both of them are in, um, no matter the defense that the Lions are facing, Campbell and Ben Johnson have this team in a mindset of we are going to run the ball. That is our bread and butter, and we're not going away from it no matter what. Like you mentioned, their carry numbers uh, fairly consistent uh, you know, across the weeks. If we were to look at our rushing splits dashboard here um, and look at David Montgomery's carries over the last you know, however many weeks, um, it doesn't fluctuate all that much. Like you were saying, he's pretty consistently in the, you know, 16 to 20 carry range. The last three weeks, 16, 18, obviously just 10 last week being down big to the bears for most of that contest. Um, he's going to get his chances. And I think this is a great spot in a bounce back against the, you know, this Denver team that while improved, uh, on defense has still struggled to stop the run. Um, giving up a league worst 144.8 rush yards per game. So I, I love this play. Um, and I'm going to play this game similarly game script wise. I think that this is a game where the lions can come out, control the tempo, control the pace of the game, control possession um, by running the ball. And I'm going to flip that and, and bet Javante Williams under his rushing yards total of 59 and a half as it is here on Tuesday evening on underdog fantasy. Um, this number is somehow above his season average of 54.2 rush yards per game, despite the fact that they're playing a Detroit Lions defense that has been excellent against the run. 
They rank ninth in rush yards per game allowed, sixth in yards per carry, sixth in rushes of 10 or more yards allowed, seventh in rushes of 20 or more yards allowed. They have not allowed explosives in the run game. They have been very, very solid up front. Williams against top 10 rush defenses by yards per game this year. They faced three of them. He's gone over 59 and a half rush yards just once out of those three. It was in a 29 to 12 win against the Browns. They were in positive game script from the start. Um, over those three games, Williams has been minus 8.9% relative to his season average against top 10 rush defenses. So he's rushing for about 10% fewer yards against these teams. He's lacked explosiveness at a 10.5% explosive rush rate for perspective. That's lower than Russell Wilson, Jalil McLaughlin, and Samaji Pirine, all on his own team. He ranks fourth in explosive rush rate. I think Detroit coming off a bad loss. They're coming back home to Ford Field. Uh, they need a win. Um, and I just I think they're going to come out hot. I don't expect this to be a great game script for Williams. I'm going under 59 and a half rush yards. Yeah, I like it. The uh, you know his 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 prop is posted above his his season average against the top ten rush defense. So that's not a recipe for success. And you know if you look at um, Chicago, I think they they posted a lot of yards on the ground. You know if you look at the box score, just at that you know high level um, number. But uh, they, it looks like they went for you know call it 134 last week against Detroit. But 58 of those yards came from Justin Fields scrambling out of the pocket. Their their leading rusher was Deontay Ford. Foreman, excuse me, who went, you know, took 11 carries for 50 yards. So to your point, game script will not favor uh, Denver if this Detroit Lions offense can get back on track and, you know, build a big lead. This is going to be a really interesting game, I think. Um, Detroit's been very good at home, uh, so I'm banking on them, you know, continuing that that uh, stretch. Denver on the flip side, not good on the road. Uh, Detroit eighth in home point differential. Denver 25th in away point differential. Um, so I think we're playing that angle of, of Detroit early and often um, from both sides of the ball here. So we're somewhat in agreement, playing at different angles. Um, love to see that. Uh, so let's move on to our second game of the week, another matchup with um, pretty you know, severe playoff implications. Two teams fighting for their playoff lives. The six and seven Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to Lambeau Field for their matchup with the six and seven Green Bay Packers. Coming off a weird loss to the New York Giants, the New York football Giants uh, on Monday Night Football last night. Green Bay enters this one as three-and-a-half-point favorites over under 41-and-a-half. Um, the Packers 13th in offensive efficiency, 25th in defensive efficiency. Tampa Bay on the other side, 18th in offensive efficiency and 11th in defensive efficiency. We'll start with the Packers offense. That's actually been really solid so far this year. With Jordan Love under center, they rank 11th in EPA per play, 11th in series conversion rate, 9th in red zone trips per game, really pushing that top 10 um, in some of those really key metrics here for the Packers offense. They will face a Tampa Bay defense um, that as a unit needs to be beat through the air. They rank 29th in EPA per play allowed. They rank 26th in yards per play allowed. They are vulnerable. However, teams that have done that have had success passing. The Bucs rank 29th in pass yards per attempt allowed. And they rank sixth in rush yards per carry allowed. They've been a extremely, extremely heavy pass funnel so far this year. That weight is going to be on Jordan Love's shoulders. Uh, on the other side, Tampa Bay's offense has really struggled to put together anything um, consistent over this season. It's really left them pretty middle of the 
middle of the pack, middle bottom of the pack in most areas. They rank 17th in EPA per play. They rank 21st in series conversion rate, 24th in yards per play, and 23rd in red zone trips per game. And, you know, Mike Evans has really been the uh, sole bright spot on that offense until, you know, Rashad White's come on in the recent weeks. But they face a Green Bay defense that's really struggled against the run. They rank 26th in yards per carry. They rank 31st in rush yards per game allowed. And that struggle against the run has led them to being ranked 23rd in EPA per play allowed, 27th in series conversion rate allowed, and 27th in red zone trips per game allowed. These two teams really find themselves in a pretty similar situation to the Denver Broncos, who we just talked about. Um, They are two of six NFC teams currently sitting at six and seven, right in this big bunch fighting for those wild card spots. And as the season enters this final stretch, each game becoming more and more and more important as both teams looking to hold on to their current playoff spots that, you know, if the season ended today, they would be in. Very interesting one, big playoff implications on the line. Pat, where do you see some advantages in this one? Yeah, you touched on it when you were talking about the Green Bay Packers passing offense and the advantage they're going to have against this Tampa Bay secondary. And so for that reason, I've yet to find a number, but if it's anywhere in you know the, the low to mid 230s, Jordan Love's season average for passing yards per game is 237. I'm going over on Jordan Love and his passing yards prop. Jordan Love, you know, Kind of had some issues getting, you know, getting out of the gates in the first half of the game, you know, over the first half of the the 2023 season, his first season as starter of the Green Bay Packers. But entering week 14 over the trailing four weeks, so from week 10 to 13, Jordan Love looked like he had, you know, really kind of settled into his own. He was averaging 287 passing yards per game in that four-week stretch. Obviously had a little bit of a hiccup against the New York Giants on Monday Night Football on a cold, windy night at MetLife. He went for just 218. But I think this is a great bounce-back spot for Jordan Love against a Bucks defense that, as you mentioned, Ethan, ranks 31st in the league in passing yards per game allowed, 29th in yards per attempt, and 31st in passes of 10-plus yards. Bucks over the last month to two months, have been banged up at the cornerback position. Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis both have been dealing with injuries, and so they've been in and out of the lineup. Definitely want to keep an eye on those injuries. But if you look at the way that you know particular quarterbacks have performed against the Bucks over the last month, you look back last week to Desmond Ritter, not by any you know metric or or you know stretch of the imagination, the league's greatest passer, finished for finished with 347 passing yards on 26 of 40 passing at home last week in Atlanta. People will remember this year that CJ Stroud in a game threw for 470 yards and five touchdowns in a game this season. But people may forget that that was against Tampa Bay just six weeks ago. Josh Allen, also obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the league, went for 324 yards, two touchdowns on 31 of 40 passing in late October. So that all goes to underline the fact that quarterbacks, effective or not, effective being CJ Stroud and Josh Allen, ineffective being Desmond Ritter, have had significant success against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers secondary. And given the way that Jordan Love's played over the last you know five weeks, um, if this number is anywhere near his season average in the mid-230s, I'm going to be riding the tailwinds that Jordan Love has been experiencing over the last six weeks of the season in his first year as the Packers starter. Take advantage of a weak Tampa Bay secondary. It's not looking like weather or wind is going to be a significant factor in this game on Sunday afternoon. 
And for that reason, I am riding Jordan Love over his passing yard prop. Yeah, I like this play. Um, they obviously have seemed to trust Love and and kind of whatever it, it's been, Love has been much more efficient over the last five games. He's gone over that 235. Even if we moved it up to 240, um, he's gone over that four or five of his last games, going over that just three of you know the first uh eight before that. Um, you know, he's gone over 60% completion percentage and you know, four of his last five games, only doing it twice before that. He's gone over 38 passing attempts uh, for the last five games, uh, only doing it three times prior. So they've obviously put some more trust in love over recent weeks, looking like Aaron Jones is going to be out again this week. Um, probably, you know, if your only other option is A.J. Dillon, um, you know, I like your chances to uh, pass the ball early and often against a, a Tampa Bay Bucks defense that's been pretty poor um, against uh, the pass. I'm going to take advantage of the other defense's uh, funnel tendencies, that's the Green Bay defense being a, a big run funnel. Um, and I'm going to go with Rashad White over 60 and a half rush yards in this one. I think this pricing is actually due to uh, here at 60 and a half, right? Um, some pretty inefficient play from white at the beginning of the season. Um, but recently the bucks have made an effort to get him the ball more over the last six weeks. Um, all four games that whites had 20 or more carries this season have come in the last six weeks. Uh, that includes both of the last, uh, his last games. He had 20 carries versus Carolina, 25 versus Atlanta last week. He has three 80 plus yard games this season. He has two hundred plus yard games this season. Um, all of those have come in the last three weeks for him. His efficiency is way up over the last three weeks. Um, he's rushed for uh, four or more yards per carry in five games this season. Uh, three of those five were the last three weeks. So, you know, whatever White has changed or the offensive line has changed for this offense, it's been much, much better over the last three to six weeks for Rashad White. This is a great matchup against a Green Bay defense that I talked about being a run funnel. They rank eighth in pass yards per game allowed and 31st in rush yards per game allowed at 142 and a half, only better than Denver's defense that we talked about last. White, clear number one running back responsibilities for the Bucs, um, just about as clear as it gets at 60 and a half percent of Tampa Bay's rush attempts. Um, that ranks fourth highest in the NFL, only behind Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, and, and Derrick Henry. Um, so, you know, Rashad White's going to get the lion's share of carries. I think there's going to be plenty of, of opportunities to run the ball against Green Bay. I'm going over 60 and a half rush yards for Rashad White. Yeah, I like that a lot as well. Um, you know, you look at the, the matchup that Rashad White just had last week against the Falcons. They ranked 23rd in the league in rushing yards per game allowed. And Rashad White went, you know, he took 25 carries for 102 yards and, you know, in total, if you look at the the running back carries, there were 34, and Rashad White got 25 of those. So if you do, you know, quick math in your head, that's that's somewhere in the in the neighborhood of 70. percent And so, um, I, it's a great matchup against a, a significantly below average rushing defense. And uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I, I like it a lot, Rashad White. All right, moving on to our third matchup here. As we head on over to our Sunday night football matchup, uh, which sees the AFC's top seeded Baltimore Ravens heading to Jacksonville 
to face a struggling Jags team that's lost their last two, sees their AFC South lead dwindling to just one game over the Houston Texans and Indianapolis Colts. Jacksonville, three-and-a-half-point home dogs over under 43-and-a-half in this one. Baltimore coming in at ninth in offensive efficiency and fourth in defensive efficiency. Jacksonville, 17th in offensive efficiency, eighth in defensive efficiency. We'll start with Baltimore, who's been fantastic on both sides of the ball. Their offense has been led by an elite rushing attack. They rank first in rush yards per game, second in yards per carry, and rushes of 10 or more yards. They rank seventh in EPA per play overall. They rank fifth in red zone touchdown percentage. Um, just been a really hard offense to stop all year. On the other side, their defense also been an elite unit. Um, both against the pass and in the red zone. They rank first in yards per attempt allowed. They are second in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. Only the Tennessee Titans are better in that area, and they are first in EPA per play allowed on defense. We'll flip to the other side with the Jags. A um, little bit of a different story for Jacksonville. Their defense has given up yards, but they've made big plays when it counts. They are 28th in yards per play allowed. However, they rank eighth in EPA per play allowed overall. They are sixth and third down percentage allowed, and they're fourth in turnovers forced per game, getting off the field when they need to in key spots. The Jacksonville offense has really struggled to move the ball uh, consistently under Trevor Lawrence this year. 21st in EPA per play for the Jags, 15th in series conversion rate, right in the middle of the pack. They also rank 16th in yards per play and 18th in red zone trips per game. The Jags are sitting just one game ahead in the division somehow um, and in the playoff picture as a whole with all those teams that we talked about at seven and uh, seven and six in the AFC. Um, a lot of pressure having to face the top team here in the Ravens who are looking to extend their lead as the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, and those chances were greatly helped by both the Dolphins and Chiefs losing last week in week 14. Sunday Night Football, Jags-Baltimore should be a really interesting matchup. Pat, where do you see some advantages and potential bets in this one? We're in agreement on this one. I'll take the, the first bite at the apple here. I'm going over 43.5 in this matchup. I'll preface this by saying that this is a model play. This is our fraud yep. or not model that is 65-plus percent on the season. And quick plug for our models, they're 34, 16, and 2, 68% on the season. Um but if you break it down on, you know, with regard to what's going to happen on the field here and not just blindly follow our model, uh, the Jags defense can be taken advantage of by this Ravens offense that, you know, as you touched on, Ethan ranks ninth in the league in offensive efficiency, seventh in EPA per play, fifth in yards per play, fifth in passing yards per attempt. On the opposite side of the ball, the Jags grade sort of well in a number of different categories, but their secondary is a significant issue. They rank 30th in the league in passing yards per game allowed. 24th in yards per attempt allowed and 27th in passes of 10 plus yards allowed over the last two weeks the jags have faced joe flacco the most recent mr big chest award winner and jake browning who has not has yet to win the mr big chest award joe flacco and the browns offense posted 31 points and 389 yards of total offense we touched on it on it earlier joe flacco went for 311 yards and three tutties on 26 of 45 passing Two weeks ago, Jake Browning looked like Joe Montana against his defense on Monday Night Football. Posted 34 points, 354 yards, and a touchdown on 32 of 37 passing, leading Cincy's offense to a total of 491 yards of total offense. 
on the opposite side of the ball, Baltimore's defense is excellent. You can't you can't argue that. You can't ignore that. But if you look at last week, Matthew Stafford leading a Rams offense that ranks top ten in the league, or you know, right around that top ten. I don't know if they're ten or eleven this week as of you know heading into week 15, but they posted 410 yards of total offense, 282 yards through the air and finished three of five on red zone trips. So with all that being said, I'm riding the model. We got, you know, uh, a, a highly, or excuse me, a, a relatively efficient Jags, you know, offense that has a number of different playmakers at skill positions. You have a highly efficient Baltimore offense that has, you know, a, again, a number of, uh, you know, highly proficient skill players at skill positions and Lamar Jackson. And I'm going over 43 and a half in this one. Yeah, look, we've already made the Flacco to Lamar Jackson comparison once. We may as well do it again and pile that on with the Jake Browning, Joe Montana comparison. Uh, we're, we're just swinging for the fences here tonight, Pat. But uh, yeah, look, primetime over. This is going to make people uncomfortable. I think the fraud or not model is playing exactly in a spot here where we think it would. This is two good defenses in primetime. Um where you know this line may have just ticked a couple couple points too low at 43 and a half we're gonna we're gonna bang the over here um you touch on it a little bit solid red zone offenses in this one 11th um in the league in red zone touchdown percentage for jacksonville fifth for baltimore um you know converting red zone trips to touchdowns is is uh the biggest favor you can do for an over this is a really interesting turnover matchup these are actually two teams with a turnover margin of zero um, Baltimore turning the ball over 1.14 times per game and their defense forcing 1.14 turnovers per game. On the other side, Jacksonville turns the ball over 1.43 times per game, but their defense forces 1.43 turnovers per game. Just thought that was a little interesting tidbit there. Um, this is two good defenses. This is where the fraud or not model plays, um, you know, in this space. Um, and we're going fraud in this one. We're going over 43 and a half. Um, maybe this line just ticked a couple points too low. So I, I like this play a lot. And, um, you know, who would we be to go against the models at this point after, you yeah. know, coming off a six and one week? Um, yeah, and 40, so 43 and a half is a good number, right? Good like spot. it's yep, key, key, key number 44. Let's, let's get it at 43 and a half before, before it ticks up. If, if that's the way the line's going to move, I, I just think that it's a good number to take advantage of. It doesn't look like there's going to be, you know, weather's not going to be a factor on Sunday night in Baltimore. And so, you know, you got two premier quarterbacks and at least one defense that can be taken advantage of in, in Jacksonville. So let's ride the over. 21. Who says no? Not me. You won't find me saying that. There we go. Love it. All right. On to our, what I think is the premier matchup of the week. Two of the most exciting offenses in the league face off in what we are calling the Momentum Bowl, Pat. As the Bills welcome the Dallas Cowboys to town after the two teams beat their reigning conference champs in week 14, gaining momentum into the Momentum Bowl. Buffalo favored by two and a half at home. Over under is 50 and a half in this one. Largely due to Buffalo entering at eighth in offensive efficiency, Dallas entering at third in offensive efficiency. On the other side, Buffalo 15th in defensive efficiency. Cowboys 24th in defensive efficiency. As I mentioned, two of the league's best offenses facing off here. Buffalo ranks third in EPA per play, only behind San Francisco and the Dallas Cowboys, who we're about to mention. They rank third in series conversion rate, fourth in yards per play, second in red zone touchdown percentage. Um, 
you know, maybe one of the most elite offenses we've seen on a seven and six team to this point. Um, Dallas on the other side, second in EPA per play, second in series conversion rate, sixth in yards per play, and first in red zone trips per game for the Dallas Cowboys. The turnover battle has been a different story. Dallas on offense is first in turnovers per game, turning the ball over just 0.64 times per game on offense. And on the flip side, Buffalo is 28th in turnovers per game, turning it over almost a full time more than Dallas this year at 1.5 turnovers per game for the Buffalo Bills. They face a Dallas defense that's been spectacular despite some red zone struggles. They rank third in EPA per play allowed. That's only behind the Baltimore Ravens and Cleveland Browns, who we have talked about agnosium on this show um, and those defenses. They rank eighth in series conversion rate allowed, fifth in yards per play allowed. I could go on and on, but they are just 22nd in red zone touchdown percentage. This, you know, an, an interesting development, developing story here for the Dallas Cowboys. They are still the most penalized defense in the league. They're going to want to turn that around before they get penalized in a really key spot coming down the stretch. Um, the Buffalo defense on the flip side continued to struggle against the run since the loss of Matt Milano. Um, they forced turnovers at a very high rate. They ranked 29th in yards per carry allowed. They're right in the middle, 16th in EPA per play allowed on defense. But they are third in turnovers forced per game at 1.5. So Buffalo, another team at zero turnover uh, margin. You know, a win here in this one goes a long way for both of these teams uh, as the prize for winning the Momentum Bowl is extreme momentum, Pat, um, as the name may suggest. Dallas continues to fight for the NFC title, um, NFC East title, excuse me, against um, the Philadelphia Eagles, potential number one seed on the line as well in the NFC for Dallas. Buffalo still somehow fighting for a playoff spot. Um, you know, you wouldn't think watching this team they'd be in that, you know, in the mud there, but you know, despite looking like one of the top teams in the league, um, sitting in fifth in, in the league and point differential, they are just seven and six, scratching and clawing. Um, interesting matchup. Where are you going with this one, Pat? It, may, it pains me to say it, but I'm going with Dallas plus two and a half here. Dallas is elite on both sides of the ball. You just touched on it. Right, they they have speed on both sides of the ball, uh, on on offense and defense, and they're one of the hottest teams in the NFC. They lead the league in point differential, and if you just generally look at teams that go deep in the playoffs, there are teams you know over the last five or you know probably just the history of the NFL, teams that are consistently routing their opponents are the teams that go deep in the playoffs. Those are teams that are balanced and you know have talent on both sides of the ball. They can they can you know force turnovers. They can move the ball when they get the ball. And Dallas is now after, you know, beating the Eagles on Sunday night, 33 to 13 are at a plus 188 point differential. Not sure what the, you know, the, the context of that is over the last five years, but that, that is a, that is a big number. If you look at over the last eight, and nine games, Dallas is six and two against the spread in their last eight Buffalo two and seven against the spread in their last nine. Generally, if you're looking at, you know, one team here is outperforming ex expectations, the other is significantly underperforming expectations. Dak Prescott has taken a significant step in his career progression. They talked about it ad nauseum on the, the broadcast on Sunday night, but it seems like he's really sort of mastered this West Coast offense where, you know, you take two or three steps and drop. And if, if you find your, your first, second or third read open, uh, you know, put the ball out there. And if you don't take off and, and run the ball, uh, you know, while if you look on the, the opposite side of the ball uh, for Buffalo, 
their offensive scheme is just chaotic. It's just Josh Allen drops back and he he lets one rip or he he's got to scramble out of the pocket and either you know run the ball or let one rip outside the pocket. But um, you know if you look at you know Buffalo, they're 28th in the league in turnovers per game on the offensive side of the ball, and um, you know Dallas takes care of the ball. So the team that wins the the turnover battle in a particular game oftentimes wins the game. Doesn't look like, again, weather is going to be a significant factor in Buffalo other than it's going to be cold. Um, but, you know, Dallas is extremely efficient on the offensive side of the ball. They have the players, uh, you know, on on the defensive line, you know, aside from Micah Parsons to put a lot of pressure on Josh Allen and, and make him uncomfortable and, you know, make some maybe, you know, bad decisions with, with the football, whether it's through the air or on the ground. And for all those reasons, I'm putting – all my biases aside, and like I've always said, I've always beat the drum that we speak very objectively on the show. I'm going Dallas plus two and a half. That is very objective of you. I'd like to present the uh, SAT vocab word of the week presented by Sporting Intelligence Agnosium. I don't think either of us know what it means, but we've used it twice now. So um, shout out to the vocab. A little context for that plus 188 point differential, Pat. Uh, through 14 weeks, 13 games. Uh, that comes out to an average margin of victory of each game of 14.5. That means they are on average every week winning by more than two touchdowns. That is an astounding, astounding number um, for Dallas. Obviously, that's come with a few big wins, um, but still, not nonetheless, you know, for a three-loss team to be still averaging that. Like you said, you can only play the teams who are on your schedule – um, but Dallas has been beating down on some of these lesser opponents. Um, I'm also going with Dallas plus the points here um, for a few reasons. Uh, the Dallas offense is just as efficient as Buffalo's, but they turn it over far less. We talked about that already. Um, the other thing is that Buffalo has been uh, more of a second half team. They do rank seventh in first half point differential, but that's largely been in the second quarter as they rank 17th in first quarter point differential. Um Buffalo has been really good in third quarters, ranking fifth in, in third quarter differentials, third and second half differential. However, Dallas, you know, top ranked team in the first half. Um, they rank second in the first quarter. Uh, and we've talked about it a lot this year, how good Dallas is when they can get a lead, how good they are as front runners when they just kind of get to sit back, let their front four rush and get pressure um, and drop back in coverage. And it's just been a nightmare for teams um, when they've fallen behind Dallas all season. My biggest concern actually with this play is that the Dallas defense is 23rd in early down success rate allowed. Um, I'll be really keying in on these first and second down plays uh, for the Bills on offense. How are they attacking this team? Um, are they trying to, you know, get a few run plays, get some chunks there and, and set up third and shorts, or are they throwing? Are they being aggressive? And and is that costing them, putting them in, in third and eight, third and nine, third and long situations that the Dallas Cowboys have been, you know, exceptional at stopping this year. They rank 10th in third down percentage allowed. Um, you know, if you get these, these, if you allow the Bills to get ahead of the chains, uh, you let Josh Allen kind of be aggressive throwing downfield to guys like Stephon Diggs and uh, Gabriel Davis, um, you know, using his legs to pick up first downs. That's not a good recipe for the Cowboys. I expect Dan Quinn to have something schemed up a little bit, limit Allen on the ground, force him to drop back and let his dogs up front go get him. Um, I'm with you on this one. I'm playing Dallas plus two and a half. 
Yeah, I think Dallas is just a little bit more buttoned up and uh you know, they force turnovers, they get after the quarterback and you know, at the end of the day, they rank third in EPA per play allowed on the defensive side of the ball. So, they just have elite units on both sides of the ball. And, you know, yeah. if, there, if there's one thing to consider, it's, you know, traveling on the road, going outside in Buffalo, but um, they haven't given, they as in the Cowboys haven't given you much reason to bet against them over the last two months of the season. No, absolutely not. And there's this narrative about Dallas being, you know, really good at home and really not so good on the road. The first half of that is true. They've been really good at home. They rank first in home point differential. The second half of that, not as true. They're still seventh in the league in away point differential. They're still a very, very difficult team to play no matter what environment you play them in. Um, and, you know, Buffalo struggled against the run. And the last thing you need is this Dallas Cowboys offense coming out balanced uh, with a balanced attack, letting Pollard. Um, they've been given some carries of Rico Dowdle. Um, some guys like that just, you know, running all over you. That's going to open up, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one matchups for CeeDee Lamb. And and you're just not going to win as a defender a lot of times against that. So um, I think there are more ways for Dallas to win this game. And for that reason, I'm going to take the points. Yep. You have, you have agreement on my end, unfortunately. All right. With that, Pat, that closes out our Week 15 preview I will remind our listeners, if you are still with us, thank you very much for listening and listening on a week-to-week -week basis. Go on over to sporting-intelligence.com and check out our dashboard to check out the matchup analysis dashboards so that you can beat the books in every which way possible. Check out the player stats dashboards. Check out the player profiles. Get an edge in fantasy football with your fantasy playoffs coming up as well. And check out the model selections. Um, those have been up on the site for the last few weeks now. Um, six in one week last week. Another six plays coming your way uh, from the models in this week 15 as well. Head on over and check those out. On sporting-intelligence.com, what a week of football we have coming up, Pat. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're going to watch football all day Saturday and all day Sunday, just make sure you do the dishes to take out the trash in between games at some point. And, uh, you know, do your roommates or significant other a favor. That is all from us this week. And we will see you next time. Tracks are only